Grace, mercy, and peace be to you from God our Father and from our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. You may be seated. New eyes can change everything. Maybe some of you remember, for those of you who wear glasses, the first time you got a pair of eyeglasses. I remember I was in sixth grade, and I didn't realize how poor my eyesight was until I got those things, right? New eyes can change everything. When we talk about the gift of faith, we often associate it with getting a new heart. We talked about that last week, and that's certainly true. God gives us new heart, the very core of our being. But with faith and the gift of the Holy Spirit, God also gives to you new eyes, a new way of seeing the world and of your place in it. That's the theme that I want to lift out of our gospel reading this morning, of how Jesus renews and transforms our vision. He's just about to send out the disciples on their maiden voyage, the first mission of the good ship kingdom of God. (laughs) And as he does, he gives them a new way of seeing, a new way of seeing their neighbors, a new way of seeing their mission, and a new way of seeing themselves. Truths that hold true for you and me today as well. And my hope is that as we lean into and learn more about these different lenses that we have, that that we might start to see like Jesus. And seeing like Jesus starts with how we see our neighbors. I think about for the disciples. When the disciples looked at their neighbors, not just the people who happened to live next door to them, but all of the outsiders, all of the crowds that were crowding around them, when the disciples looked at their neighbors, what did they see? Well, I think in this particular moment, what they saw was a lot of hostility, a lot of antagonism. What they saw was reason for suspicion and reason perhaps for correction of all the people who were out there in the world. What about for you and me? When we look at our neighbors, what do you see? I'd say much the same still today. All sorts of reason for suspicion and correction or worse. A friend of mine pointed me to a newspaper article recently, and it was about this or that protest, and it had a picture in it. And in the picture, there was a nice-looking young man, clean-cut, kind face, and he was holding up a sign. And on the sign it said, if Jesus comes back, kill him again. When you and I look around and we see things like that, there's... There's all sorts of reason for suspicion, or worse. But when Jesus looks at our neighbors, what does he see? What he sees are sheep without a shepherd. What he sees is hurting people who are helpless and harassed. And those particular words are used elsewhere in the Gospels to describe people who are being possessed and afflicted by the evil one, by Satan. They're helpless and harassed. They're sinners, yes. They can be antagonistic, of course, because in their heart of hearts they are broken and misled by the evil one. When we look out at our neighbors, it's so quick for us to want to to act like detectives, trying to suss out all of their sins, or perhaps professors finding ways to correct all of the ways that they are wrong. But what Jesus calls you and me to is instead to be like first responders who are coming to bring the healing love of Jesus. That's it. 
He's the only one who can do it. He's the only one who can do it. So this is the first way in which our, our vision is transformed with these new lenses that we have of faith. Our Lord would move us from suspicion and correction to compassion. To be people of compassion. That when we look out in the world, when we look out in our neighbors, that doesn't mean that we have to just act as though the, the sin isn't there, that there aren't real problems and issues in the world. Of course there are. But it means that our first foot forward is always the compassion of Christ. See? We're not called to be detectives sussing out sins. We're first responders bringing that healing love of Jesus. That's where it's at. That compassion always comes with, with courage and conviction. It's not just kind of a, a milk toast sort of everything is going to be okay. But even so, it is a compassion that is founded in the heart of the Father, the love of the Good Shepherd who desires that every harassed and helpless person could be gathered into his flock. And that's why he sends out his disciples on the mission. And this is the, the second way in which our vision is transformed and renewed. The, the first way is the way that we see our neighbors. We move from a place of suspicion and correction instead to compassion. But secondly, when it comes to the mission, now I think about for the disciples. When the disciples looked at the mission that was in front of them, what did they see? I think they saw a lot of different things, but for sure one of the things that they saw was loss. Think about it. Put yourself in their shoes or their sandals, as the case may be. <clears throat> uh, they've been able to have this time, this special time with the Lord Jesus and with their brothers in arms, right? With their fellow disciples. Imagine the close-knit community and how cool it just would have been to hang out with Jesus. Like, we're going around, Jesus is doing miracles and is teaching, like, this is awesome. We could do this forever. And now Jesus is like, all right, guys, now it's time. I've got a mission for you. All right, Jesus, where are we going? He's like, hmm, where are you going? Hmm. Okay, so you're sending us out. All right, as long as we got all of our 12 guys together, we're ready to roll. He's like, actually, I'm going to send you out two by two. They're like, what is this backwards Noah's Ark that we've got now? They couldn't help but feel a sense of loss when they looked at that mission. What did Jesus see? What Jesus saw was the economy of the backwards kingdom of God. And how does that economy work? Well, you gain by losing. You grow by sharing. You find life through death and relinquishing your life. That's the, that's the economy of God's kingdom. It's summed up perfectly by our Lord Jesus when he says, freely you have received, freely give. Let me hear you say freely. freely. If I could sum up the Christian life in one line, one phrase, it's right there. Freely, you and I have received from the Lord. Freely, everything has been given to you and me. Every spiritual blessing is ours in Christ, it says in Ephesians. And not merely every spiritual blessing, but every temporal blessing, all that we have. We give thee but thine own, we sing sometimes. We give thee but thine own, Lord, because everything we have comes to us simply and solely as a gift from the Father above. Freely you have been given. Freely give. That's our mission mantra. That's our, our transformational vision here when it comes to our mission, which is God's mission. He would move us from a place of, of looking at it as subtraction to multiplication. See? When we look at this mission that God has entrusted us with, it's not a matter of subtraction but multiplication. 
It's not that we're just losing, but we're gaining by giving it away. Think of it like this. Think of it of, of, of Christmas Eve. We have our wonderful candlelight services at Christmas Eve, right? And you get all those candles, and it starts with one big candle, and you light that first candle. Is that candle any diminished for having shared its light? No, of course not. And as it's passed from person to person to person, the light is not relinquished. Instead, it is growing and multiplying. That's what God's mission is like. It's not a matter of subtraction, but multiplication. My good friend uh, Travis, Pastor Travis Harchin, who was here just last week at camp for the teen week, he was telling me a story recently where, where the lights really went on for somebody, the candle lights, perhaps, uh, for somebody he was talking to about this. Um, Travis is a church planter, which means that he helps to start to launch new congregations. And he was meeting with the leadership of one of these congregations that was going to be responsible for helping to plant a new church. And he's sitting in this room around the table, and he's, he's talking with them that one of the core responsibilities to be a planting church means that you're going to take uh, some of your members to help form a launch team, okay? They're going to go and be part of this new church plant to help to, to lead it. What's going on, he's, he's talking about all these intricacies of the church planting, but he could sense that as he's talking, kind of the tension in the room is rising. Until finally, one of the guys around the table, a beloved elder in the church, well-respected, he speaks up and he says what everybody else at the table is thinking. It's like, Pastor Harchin, when I hear you talking about this church planting, what I hear you saying is that we're going to lose a bunch of really good members. And Travis looked him in the eye and said, no, no, no. You're not losing members. You're sending missionaries. And they're all like, oh. That's the math of God's mission. It's not subtraction. It's multiplication. But who's sufficient for these things? Which one of us is capable to be part of God's mission? And this is what gets us to the, the third place of transformation here. We talked about how the new eyes of faith that our Lord Jesus has given to us, it transforms our view of ourselves, transforms our view of his mission that we get to be a part of. But it also, or I should say, our neighbors, it transforms finally our view of ourselves. So I think about the disciples. And how did the disciples view themselves in this moment? I mean, what are they? They are despised publicans, to use the old word, tax collectors. They're lowly fishermen. You can only imagine that now, as they're getting ready for this mission, they're thinking, me? Really? When you look at yourself in the mirror, what do you see? You see your appearance, no doubt, thinking, used to be better. All right. <laughs> Perhaps you see your abilities or your perceived lack of abilities. You see your vocations. All these different things that you see. Some of them good. More often than not, things that you might think are bad. Things that the world's told you about yourself or that, that you yourself have come to, to believe. Perhaps with even the evil one and the way those voices that he tries to whisper into our ears. When you look at yourself in the mirror, what do you see? When Jesus looks at his disciples, and when he looks at you, what does he see? He summons forth this ragtag group of 12 nobodies, and he says, no, 
You are my chosen ones. You are my apostles. And they're like, what's an apostle? That sounds really cool. I don't know what it is. Well, that's neat. All right. You are the ones that I'm sending out to extend my presence to the world. You're going to bring my healing power. You're going to share the message of good news of the, of the kingdom of God. You are going to bring me to the world. So who are you? He, he looks at those disciples and he says, you were nobody, but now you're my body. This is that third transformation of vision. That the way we look at ourselves... You're not nobody. You're Christ's body. You are part of the beloved body of Christ, joined to the Father's Son. Now you are of inestimable worth to Him. He sacrificed everything to make you His own. That's who you are. He is the one now who has claimed you and who lives in you as His home. Think about that. You're the home and the habitation of the Holy Spirit. That's how he sees you. You know, that makes me think of one of my favorite things to do as a pastor. This is probably my favorite thing, is doing baptisms and then my Lion King victory lap. Right? <laughs> but one of my other favorite things is to do home blessings. And some of you have, have had me do this, where I come over to your house and I poke around and see how many Bibles you got, how often they've been used. Oh, yes. <laughs> Uh, it's a sweet thing to be able to come and to sanctify your homes with the word of God and prayer, to anoint it with oil. So this, is a, this place is a habitation of God's spirit. But typically, until recently, there was one room that I wouldn't go to when I would do these house blessings. And maybe you can guess which room it was. The bathroom. <laughs> just didn't feel right. Come into your bathroom, look in your medicine cabinet. You know, it's just, that's not comfortable. But that's changed for me because something what I, I read from an author named Letitia Warren, and she describes how her pastor came over to her house for a home blessing. He went from room to room, and then he did go to the bathroom. And now she's leaning in really close. What's I going to say here? She watched as he anointed the mirror with oil. And he prayed that all those who look into that mirror would see themselves not as the world sees them, not even perhaps as they, themsel as they see themselves, but as the Father sees them, as his beloved, precious children. You know, on Father's Day, I think about that with my own kids, that my prayer is that they would see themselves the way that God sees them, as his beloved in whom he delights. And it's my prayer for each and every one of you that you'd be able to see yourself as God sees you through those cross-shaped lenses of our Lord Jesus. I think about the way that our Lord looks at the world, the way that he looks at us, the way that he looks at this mission. And you'd think for any rational thinking person, if they were just to assess the rescue mission that Jesus was headed out on, they would say, ah, oh, it's not a good idea. Not a good idea at all. It's as though Jesus was a farmer assessing a field, and they look at it and like, oh, that's a dirt farm in the middle of a drought, and we've got a labor shortage, and the labor that we do have can't tell their rear end from a hole in the ground. So 
In short, bad bet, Jesus. Don't do it. But what does Jesus see? What Jesus sees is his chosen ones, his sent ones, his beloved that now are going out there. What he sees is all sorts of need for more laborers. What he sees is not all sorts of ruins, but instead opportunities. What he sees, in short, is fields ripe for the harvest. That's what Jesus sees. And you know what? When you and I, when we start looking for laborers among those that the world labels losers, And when we start noticing opportunities amid the ruins, and when we find hope in hopeless places and hopeless people, a remarkable thing happens. We start seeing like Jesus. Amen. And may the peace of God that surpasses all understanding keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Amen. We stand for prayer.